Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asked me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Radder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, so you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Live and broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing, I mean, you've got some pr- pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff, so congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien with much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's definitely going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. So, when it comes to production, best that I've seen. Like, out of the schools that I've been to, I've got buddies who are broadcasting, or at least in journalism school over at Clemson, and some of, like, the big ACC schools are, like, our production team is not great. Like, from a production standpoint, the broadcast side is great. However, from, like, a journalism broadcasting school side of things, um, we're kind of teaching ourselves how to do everything, which is kind of tough, but at the same time, we really don't have the mentors or broadcasters, like elite professional broadcasters like yourself, kind of helping us out. So from that aspect, it's difficult, but, you know, we're learning the ropes. Right. That's good. Well, baby steps. <laughs> I guess so. So yeah, thanks, thanks sure. so much for taking the time to uh, talk to me again. It was great talking to you last time. And I wanted to kind of touch up on uh, uh, Big Fly Apparel, because obviously with the whole pandemic, the season shut down right now, I wanted to... Yeah. Uh, get your take on how uh, Big Fly Gear is going right now, considering everything that's been going on. Like, what have sales been like? It's been uh, it's been you know hit or miss a little bit. Obviously, not uh, you know not having the baseball season kind of hurts, and yeah. and with everybody in unemployment and stuff like that going on, I, I understand where you know not everybody's in the market for a thirty dollar t shirt at this time. So uh, it's it's been uh, we've had some ebbs and flows. We've had some weird peaks where like where is this coming from and then all of a sudden it goes quiet uh and dormant and so we're just kind of rolling along we're thankful that you know we don't have any overhead and we can just kind of uh kind of baby this along and hopefully the baseball comes back and we can kind of uh just pick up where we where we left off unfortunately for us we had just launched uh, we've kind of redone our women's stuff. We just launched the uh, Millville Meteor, which is the Mike Trout shirt. Yeah. And so we were we had some great momentum going into mid-March with spring break about to hit or hitting in some places and, you know, people going to the ballparks and then everything stopped. So yeah. kind of 
that from that point standpoint, it stinks. I mean, I was looking at the website. My favorite shirt is the Ball Destroyer, the Walk Off City one, where it's kind of like the baseball skull. Because I have like yeah. a Slash T-shirt that's exactly like that. And then I saw yeah. you and Mark a few years ago on '80s night. You guys were Axel and Slash for, for yeah. a broadcast. I'm like, that was pretty sick. These guys are into that's guns. Actually, where I got it from. That's where I got the idea from. Really? I've got a uh, I've got a Guns N' Roses concert T-shirt. And I was looking at it in the mirror one day, and I'm like, you know what? This would be kind of cool to do a – because we don't – you know, most of our stuff is pretty true to whatever the story is and very very Americana and very, you know, white and blue. I'm like, wouldn't it be cool to have something like this? It's kind of like a concert T-shirt look. And so we kind of took that frame and and kind of tweaked it around. Our our designer had done or used that skull for our Halloween um, uh, graphic just for put out on social media. And that's the one I told him. I said, you know what? Maybe we could do something with that thing. And, and that's kind of how it, that evolved. <laughs> the first time I saw that picture, I'm like, nice. These guys yeah. know what Was that Players Weekend when you guys dressed up? Oh, uh, that probably was, uh, that was probably seven. No, that would have been, uh, so Guns N' Roses would have been the 80s. So probably the 80s right. theme. Uh, and we, we've been doing that for a couple of years now. We decided to do some stuff uh, as far as dressing up and partaking when the Angels have some sort of a theme night. Oh, that's sweet. That was my that was my first ever concert, Guns N' Roses, when they got back together in 2016. Yeah. Ever since then, I'm, I've just been a rock junkie. <laughs> nice. Axel's gotten a little bit larger than he was back in the day. He still has it though. He's still running around the stage Which like it's amazing. 1985. Which is amazing. Yeah. Slash obviously still has it. Jealous of his guitar skills. So obviously, when it comes to both you and Mark on the air, you guys have been together for 10 years now. And as an aspiring broadcaster, I think the biggest um, difficulty. I think that we have on on the air on our live streams for that matter at GCU or for anywhere for any aspiring broadcaster is kind of having that chemistry with your broadcast partner kind of having a conversation for uh, seven to nine innings whether it's softball baseball basketball whatever we're calling what do you think has made uh, the chemistry between you and Mark so special over this last decade because whether you like to hear it or not you guys are kind of one of the more highly rated duos in pro baseball I think knowing him, or at least having been around him before, uh, there was a comfort zone. Uh, you know, we're we're very similar uh, in that we both have three brothers. Uh, we all play baseball. Yeah. Come from baseball families. Uh, I grew up in Kansas City, watching him pitch. So there was a familiarity there when we first started working together in 2010, and it was a pretty easy comfort, you know, to just kind of slide in and and, and start doing it. You know, I took over the Angels position. It was only available because the unfortunate passing of Rory Marcus. Right. And so that first couple of months early on in 2010 was difficult because of, you know, you, Rory had been there for so long. And um, so I was more cognizant of that as opposed to worrying about the chemistry between uh, Gooby and I. Um, but, you know, once we hit our stride, we hit our stride. And you know, it's just, it's like anything else, right? You have to, it takes reps to kind of yeah. feel. Uh, timing is the biggest issue, really, to be perfectly honest with you, is when it, it, you pick up the nuances of how someone speaks and when they're starting to tail off on a thought and you can pick up on and so on and so forth. So uh, I, I think just as anything else, I think you need some time and some reps to do it. For some people, it's a work in progress and it remains a work in progress. For others, it's just, it kind of clicks um, but we spend so much time together. Uh, we kind of finish each other's thoughts. We kind of know where we're at. 
Um, we drive to the ballpark every day. Uh, we go home after the ball, after a game, or at least on the road. We drive back to the hotel together in our own car. We have dinner. We grab a bite to drink, or a bite to eat, or drinks afterwards, and decompress after a game. So we're constantly together, especially on the road, and that kind of that helps. And you, you, you know, we kind of like each other. It, it, it kind of <laughs> helps that you you have respect for the guy that you're working with, and 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 what he brings to the table on a nightly basis. And do you feel like it's kind of like an advantage given that you were a pro baseball player, you went up through the ranks yourself, as opposed to being a journalism student like me, kind of going through radio and those things. Like, you're play-by-play. He's obviously played for the Royals for 14 seasons, and you, obviously a baseball player in your own right, do you feel like that helps kind of, you both can communicate in that aspect? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, my dad played for the Royals and is in the Royals Hall of Fame, just yeah. like Gooby is. So, you know, Gooby, at a young age, while he was coming up with Kansas City, knew who my dad was. So there was there was that little connection there as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I see the game differently than, say, a broadcast student that uh, had didn't come up playing the game. You know, for most people, most kids... Uh, boys and girls, uh, they come up playing sports. And more times than not, you will have played baseball at some point or softball at some point. So you understand the game. It depends on the level that you get to. So if you play some high school ball, that's, that, that helps. If you go to college, that really helps. And if you get to the minor leagues and so on, so that you can experience what it's like, um, that really helps kind of bring out um, the guy that or the girl that's sitting next to you from an analyst standpoint and I'm speaking from a play-by-play uh, perspective so um, I I view the game differently having been immersed in it since birth I view the game completely different and I watch the game so I'm not a, I'm not a monitor guy because I didn't go to school to be a broadcasting student so I didn't learn to, to watch a game on a monitor and then pick up the ball and go from there. I'm watching the game. And so that gives me a little bit different perspective. I can tell you when a foul ball is off the bat. I can tell you when a home run is off the bat as opposed to there's a drive, pause, find the ball, then make your call. I've never, my eyes never come off the ball. And so, and the same goes when, uh, you know, ball of the alley and you've got base runners. And I'm, I'm constantly following, just because of the way I was brought up, I'm following the fielders, and I'm picking my runners, and I'm kind of going back and forth. And it also helps that I was a radio guy. Yeah. Originally. And so I, you have to do that stuff on radio so that you can paint that picture. And so you're constantly looking at different things. What's the coach doing? Here comes the throw. Where's the relay throw? You know, and, and then you, it's all this buildup, this crescendo to if there's a play at the plate, right? And so maybe I do a little too much of that on TV that you don't really need to do, but that'll never leave me because there's this, I think even though you're watching it, you want to feel the intensity of what's happening on the field. Yeah. Because as a director's cutting a show, a game or a play, what I may be saying may be different than what he's cutting. He may be cutting the base runner between first and second, and I'm telling you where the shortstop is at on the relay throw, yeah. right? And all of a sudden, it's a big, it's a high, high home shot to see where everything's at. Then it's back to the runner rounding third base. I'm still, I'm following the baseball, you know, so I can easily tell you if there's going to be a play at the plate, even though the camera is showing you the runner coming down the line, there may not be a play at the plate yeah. because the shortstop dropped the ball. You know what I mean? So that's, and that for me. If I'm following it on the TV, 
I'm, I'm not only screwing myself, I'm screwing the audience because I, I'm, I'm building this whole thing up. And I'm like, oh, by the way, the uh, shortstop dropped off and there's no play at the plate. He's safe. You know, it's just it's anticlimactic. So that's, that's what's helped me kind of, I don't know, broadcast the game, if you will. Yeah. Um, you know, some people uh, in my industry that are uh, executives may not care for the way I do it because it's not the cookie cutter way of broadcasting a baseball game. I really don't care. Who At wants this point, I'm, sev- I'm 17 years in. Um, I'm not going to change. And it seems to have worked out for a guy yeah. that didn't go to broadcasting school that started this pipe dream of becoming a broadcaster at 31 years of age, and now I have 17 years in the big leagues, I think I kind of know what I'm doing. Um, but it's a subjective business, right? Yeah. So it's, you're kind of at the mercy of how the wind is blowing. And that really it's really what it boils down to. Artie Moreno could say, you know what, I don't care for the tone of Victor's voice anymore. And it's just like, okay, I'm gone. And someone else comes in. That's just the subjectivity of the uh, of the industry. Now, when you're in the middle of a game, obviously, how often is your producer or director in your guys' ears? Kind of obviously like what you just said when it comes to cutting certain angles during replays when you're actually doing the yeah. play-by-play action. Directors, very seldom. Uh, yeah. director, direct, being a director on a, on a TV of a baseball game, is not easy, man. I don't know how they do it um, because they they've got this panel, this wall of, of monitors. Um, they've got all kinds of things to worry about, and so you rarely hear from a director unless it's between pitches, right? And it's you know it's just a quick screwing around or anything like this. Uh, you know, it's just yeah, it, that kind of stuff. When the action begins, there's nobody in your ear. Uh, if there's something happening, there's really nothing going on in your ear except your call and or whatever your analyst is, is, right. is saying at that time or about to say. Uh, the only time producers are in your ear really is when they're getting you to the next point or I have this clip or I've got this highlight or I've got this, uh, hey, we have this board that we'd like to work in. That's the only time the producer is kind of really suggesting certain things. If you have a, if you have a second or if it works, I've got this and they'll pop it up on the screen that we can see in the booth and like, okay, I got it. And then, and then work it in. But for the most part, they're more, the most talking, uh, most of the talking, that's really good English. Most of the talking occurs at a commercial break. Right. It's when you kind of get a chance to just say, Hey, you know, what did you need or whatever, you know, and that's, you just kind of clear the air and just like, Hey, where do you want to go? What's, what's going on? Um, but that's, that's pretty much it. It's just the, the normal traffic that you have from a sponsorship standpoint. It's really the most that you really do aside from all the other stuff like highlights and graphics. Right. Do you guys ever find yourself in a situation where you're like, should I say this or should I not say this? Because obviously you guys were throwing like a massive curveball last year. I think everybody was uh, during the passing of Tyler Skaggs because you guys, of course, were on the road. Then it was the all-star break, I think. And then you guys weren't back in Anaheim until uh, a week or two after that. And obviously the combined no-hitter, which was the most special thing that you could ever see. Is there ever a time, obviously, uh, I want to talk about that entire experience, but first, like, is there ever uh, times during a broadcast or even before a broadcast where you know you have to talk about something that's going to be sensitive like that and you kind of have to go over what to say and what not to say? Those, uh, those instances, yeah, they're really trying to think of the side because the you know Tyler's passing is is a completely different animal yeah. right when you talk about that um, 
I'm trying to think of a situation. Um, man, uh, I, I know there has been certain things that have come up. You know, I'll give you an example. Well, I was going to say a managerial firing or something to that effect, but we really haven't had uh, those in season. Right. Uh, but there's there have been, and I, for some reason it escapes me, um, instances where something has come up and we have been told, uh, whether by the organization or by Fox Sports West, who broadcasts the game for us, yeah. games for us, um, if you're going to say this, if you're going to say something, this is as generic as we want you to be. Um, and I'm perfectly fine uh, by that. I'm not, I couldn't care about the spotlight. I couldn't care about breaking news. Um, I don't want to put myself out there and be in that situation uh, when it comes to those type of things, especially sensitive uh, issues uh, that may upset somebody that, like I said, the subjectivity of the whole industry yeah. that may really, you know, chap their hide a little bit and all of a sudden cost you uh, games or even your job. Uh, so there have been those moments. And I think everybody goes through those moments, uh, whether at the regional level or at the national level. Um, I'm fairly cognizant of what I say. Uh, I remember when Nick Gatenhart passed away in 2009. And um, I was at MLB Network, and I just started MLB Network. And I remember getting the call, having to come into the studio and, you know, do the breaking news that Nick had passed away. And, you know, I didn't know Nick. I wasn't close to the Angels organization at that time like I am today. And so it was difficult for me to speak on anything uh, other than the facts. And I think that's where you get into that gray area of as a DUI, you know, right. uh, was, was it a hit and run? Was the driver under the influence? You know, you got to keep the, uh, the editorial part of it out yeah. of what you're saying, because all you're going to do is paint yourself in the corner and get yourself in trouble. If you start to add too much information, I've always, I've told my kids to this day, um, even, even when you get asked a question, answer the question and do not give any more information than that is necessary. Uh, yeah. You know, so that because what happens is you give a little extra and you're trying to add some color, some flair to it. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that or it snowballs on you and you're going to get questioned on it. So stick to just the facts. That way you're in the clear. Now, when it comes to, because obviously you're generous enough to talk to me, to talk to any aspiring broadcaster that reaches out to you, what would you say is the biggest mistake that you've seen from young broadcasters such as myself trying to break into the business just when it comes to either on-air stuff or even behind-the-scenes stuff? Uh, Behind-the-scenes, uh, not a whole lot, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. I think the, the one thing that I always tell young broadcasters, and I've probably told you this because we've spoken before, yeah. is uh, don't try to be somebody else. Don't, mm -hmm. you know, don't feel the need because Joe Buck is at the pinnacle of our profession doing multiple sports that you need to sound like Joe Buck or have his uh, Buckisms or <laughs> mannerisms or his jokes or yeah. that's, that's garbage. To me, that, I think anybody who tells you that kind of stuff um, they shouldn't be teaching, to be perfectly honest with you. I think, uh, look, I'm, I'm self-taught. 
and there's no doubt that I went through a number of iterations of, of, of Victor Rojas, the broadcaster, because I was trying to figure it out all right. on my own, you know, and uh, it really, after doing one year in the big leagues with the Diamondbacks in 03, I got hired by the Rangers to do radio with Eric Nadell, who is now a Ford C. Frick Award winner and in the Baseball Hall of Fame as a broadcaster. And I remember the first month or so of working with Eric, who is meticulous and has got his scorebook, and this is on radio, and he's right. got notes everywhere. I don't know how he can read them because he's got a horrible handwriting, but he's got notes everywhere. And and I'm thinking to myself, maybe I'm doing it wrong. I need to. And so then I started doing all these things, and what I found was happening for me was. I was losing focus of what was happening on the field because I was so worried and so locked in my book and my notes and trying to get all these stupid little nuggets in that I lost track of what was happening on the field. And I, I think once you lose the feel of the game, mm -hmm. you're toast as a broadcaster um, because really you could put a you could put anybody. Look, if I could do this, anybody could do this. But uh, I, I think you could put a trained monkey. To, to sit there and just read notes off of or stats off of a page. Right. I mean, that's not that's not hard. Um, so I think feel for the game is really the biggest thing. I, I, I always, uh, you know, it's been said before, and I tell my kids this all the time: be the best version of yourself, and not the second version of someone else. Right. Uh, you know, and I, I think that's where young broadcasters feel like they need to be somebody else so that they stand out. No, being different will make you stand out. Yeah. Being good and being good pipes and, and, and calling a game and tempo and all that, all that stuff, that's what will help you stand out. Not like, trust me, there's going to be people like, oh, he sounds like Joe Buck. Oh, he sounds like Marv Alba. Oh, he sounds like Bob Costas. Click, next, next, next. Because they're looking for something unique. Yeah. They want to be able to mold it to their vision, their brand, and they want to look at someone that says, this person screams Cleveland Indians baseball. You know what I mean? Or whatever, and whatever the case may be. And I think every organization is trying to do that. Now, when it comes to actually, like, on air, when it just comes to verbiage in general, have you ever had any, like, really bad blunders that you can recall? Yeah. I dropped an F-bomb on the air, and I, nice. I didn't know I was on the air. Uh, that was uh, two, this is in 20, what are we now, 2020, 28, no, was it last year? Two years ago, 2018. And um, we were in Arizona, and uh, it was the second game of a two-game set. We were going home to uh, Southern California after the game. We're in Phoenix. And the we do our mic checks or whatever. Uh, we tape our open on the road. Yeah. So our open's already in the can. And so the next thing that we do live is, you know, come back from break, and it's, you know, getting ready for first pitch and the lineups. And so I put my cans on. I, I test, you know, you know, in the box, you, you make sure the producer can hear you and all that stuff. Uh, the cough button, and good. And I'm I'm a guy that likes the volume. I don't like to hear myself talk, so I right. turn the volume really low. Um, and I've got dog hearing too, so like high noises or loud noises bother me. I hear I, I can hear the producer and I can hear Gooby, so that's 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 all I care about. And you know I'm just sitting there waiting for a commercial break. And um, I forget the cat's name, uh, pitcher for. Uh, well, anyways, before he comes out, the PA announcer for the Diamondbacks and here, and, and now you're Arizona Diamondbacks. So I, I mimic that. I go, oh, you're Arizona, because I'm pumped. I'm ready to do the game. I'm ready to go home. And uh, so and so takes the mound, and it's a simple man by Leonard Skinner starts playing. 
And I turned to, I didn't turn to Gooby, and all I just said was, oh, man, this is a great effing song. And I just, I get, I, I sense, I sense this whip around from both Gooby and our stage manager to my right. And I look, and I'm like, you know, is that on the air? And they're like, yes. I'm like, uh. So I went and talked back right away. Uh, I said, did that go over the air? And he goes, we're, we're checking. That's all I heard was, we're checking. And uh, it did make air, I mean, briefly. Yeah. And, you know, I ended up having to apologize on the air. And I got suspended for a couple of games. Um, but that was, that. you know, I didn't. I had no idea we were on the air. Wow. And unfortunately, uh, my wife said it's amazing that it took you 17 years because I thought it would have happened in year one. Oh, with my your, God. With your mouth. <laughs> I had no idea. I, I was going to yeah. say, I, I once said sacrifice blunt instead of sacrifice bunt on the air, and I'm like, oh, that's... That's that's pretty bad during a basketball. You did it on 420 day. Oh, yeah. I, I know. I think it was April. It was last year. I also said, uh, um, what did I say? Um, shot cock instead of shot clock, which everybody got a kick out of. Uh, it happens. It I happens. Mean, sometimes. I mean, look. What I said was, you know, I probably shouldn't have said it, or at least I should have been holding my cough button when I said it. Um, but you know, always assume your mic is hot, um, and that way you are protected. <laughs> At least I didn't drop an F-bomb. I can't believe that. That's insane. I was... The only saving grace to that situation and why it probably didn't blow up as much as it normally would have was because I think that's the day that Urban Meyer... The Urban Meyer situation happened in Ohio State. And so, like, it was like... Under the road, yeah. Nobody said anything. You know, casual Angel fans. And you can find it on YouTube. So, whatever. I'm definitely looking that up after this. <laughs> so I, right. I wanted to uh, go back to the whole uh, Tyler Skaggs situation because yeah. obviously it was uh, an experience to say the least. Obviously all of them, they lost a, a friend, a teammate. Because, um, again, you guys were on the road and then it was bleeding into All-Star Week. And then, of course, the first game back in Anaheim at home, the, the combined no-hitter, it's just like you, right. you can't write that. So I guess you could write that stuff, but like that just doesn't right. happen. What was that entire experience like from a broadcast standpoint? Um, it was weird. Uh, July 1st was a Monday, so I was at home. So I live in the Dallas area. Yeah. And so whenever we come to Arlington, I just stay at home. And we'd gotten in on Sunday night. And that Sunday was the, um, I was going to say that it was a rookie thing set up, wasn't it? It was the players decided to dress up like cowboys. And so everybody had, you know, I remember Tyler had, Tyler had his black jeans and boots on, his big old hat, and they were taking pictures before we got on the charter. Um, everyone was having a good time, right? It was just normal, typical Sunday travel day from, from Angel Stadium to, to Texas. I got home, and then on, on Monday... Uh, I was pulling out of my driveway on my way to the ballpark, and Mark Gubiza called, my partner, and I thought he needed me because the, the hotel where the team stayed at was on the way to the ballpark. I thought he wanted me to come by and pick him up, and all I heard was uh, Gooby crying on the other line, uh, and on the other end of the line. And I, at that point, thought something had happened to one of his kids, and because I know his, his youngest daughter's at, at Kansas University or was at the time. And um, he explained to me what had happened, and I, I was just, I was dumbfounded. Um, so that happened, that was on a Monday, July 1st. That game was canceled. Tuesday um, was canceled as well. No, we played on Tuesday. Uh, we came back on Tuesday. 
Uh, they had the press conference. And it was really, you know, no desire to talk about it, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I, rem- I It was kind of like a blur because it was a, it was a four-game series with Texas, and then we were going down to Houston for three, like you said, before the All-Star break. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just, I just remember we were just getting through it. You know, we just wanted to get to Sunday. Um, I was going to fly back home and be here at home, and everyone else was going to Southern California. And so it was hard, one. And then you had the four-day lull, um, and then you knew you had to go back home on Friday, first game back, and you were going to talk about it again and rehash it because home crowd, home audience, um, you know, Debbie, his mom was going to throw out the ceremonial first pitch. And, you know, we, we'd come up with some ideas for the organization and, um, I'm glad they implemented some of the things that, that they ended up doing on that Friday night. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, I say this all the time, but the one thing that stood out to me is that after the All-Star break, I'm thinking, why is Taylor Cole starting this game? I'm like, why are we having an opener? I mean, you just had four days off. You don't have a normal starter to start after the All-Star break. That's the only thing that was going through my head. I'm like, this is really weird. Um, but then Taylor pitches, and in comes Felix Pena, and most of the game really was just reminiscing about Tyler. And it wasn't until about the sixth inning we were done with all the traffic and stuff, and we kind of started focusing back in on the game when we realized, dude, this would be unbelievable if this happened. And lo and behold, it did. And it was like the the most incredible thing that I'd ever seen in my life. And and then and then not but ten minutes, twenty minutes after the game, everybody started doing the math on all these numbers, yeah. like with the score, the date. All these things and how they all tied into Tyler's birthday. Uh, I mean, it was crazy, crazy symmetry. It was just, it was just insane. I've never, I've never seen anything. I've never experienced anything like that. And um, I think the team played with so much adrenaline for that week after the All Star break, and then, and then the wall. You know, I just uh, then it was just kind of like going through the motions. You know what I mean? Because it was, you know, because you're constantly. If something happened or there was a ball hit the right center field at home and then there's the picture of Tyler in right center field. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things like this this doesn't really mean a whole lot, yeah. you know? And the team, even though they were maybe you're playing for an outside chance at a wild card, it was it was gonna be a difficult, difficult run. I don't know how those guys did it to be perfectly honest with you. Um, it was hard for us. Um, but you know, at least I guess the difference being is we had to talk about it. We were forced to talk about it on a daily basis, whereas they could say their piece and then just put the uniform on and go hide in the field and go do their thing, you know. Yeah. Now, when it comes from a broadcasting standpoint in that game, after, of course, everybody celebrating on the field after the combined no-hitter first game back after his passing, and for you as a TV broadcaster, the, the purpose is to, of course, paint the picture, and then for, like, big moments at the end of the game, walk-off, in this case, of course, a no-hitter, uh, you kind of just let it sit until, you know, you eventually you wrap it up and then go to the post-game. How long did you guys actually wait and let that moment kind of breathe uh, after that final out? I have no idea, to be perfectly honest with you. I've never gone back and timed it or anything yeah. like that. Um, I just know that you know, there wasn't – there was a celebration, but it was like this tempered celebration, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, 
I mean, you can go back to the first inning when Trout hits the home run, and as he's crossing home, you know, he's, he's looking up to the to the suites. It's just, you know, I think about it now and I get emotional. It's just like I get, it gives me chills to even think about it. Um, but after when Renjifo stumbled on that ground ball to end the game, that's where I got like, don't you know? I'm thinking to myself, don't screw it up. Let's. And so like, I wasn't I I wasn't ever trying to make it a big moment. I just I just wanted to make the call. But then I saw him kind of stumble, and it's like. Don't screw, you know, it's like all of a sudden my adrenaline got up and that's where I, you know, I just say the Angels have no hit the Seattle Mariners. After that, I don't, I really don't remember, to be perfectly honest with you. I just, all I saw was guys just walking out and then I forget who it was, the initial person that took off their jersey and laid it on the mound. And then everybody, then everything happened on the mound. And, um, you know, we were fortunate enough the Angels organization thought of Gooby and I. They gave us number 45 jerseys as well to wear, and we had them on all game. And I still have mine hanging in my closet, and I'll, I'll eventually get it framed. Wow. Um, just because it was such a special moment, yeah. you know. And, um, but from a broadcast standpoint, you know, I've had, I've been fortunate enough to call, you know, Sammy Sosa's 600th home run. I've had Albert's 500 and 600th home runs, his 3,000th hit number of no hitters and I just I just let the moment happen I don't I'm not a big believer in having some sort of I don't think about man I better get this right because this is going to live forever yeah you know I just if you keep it simple you don't have to worry about it right you know if you're trying to be cute about it that's when you probably stumble over words or screw it up but it's just to me it's like it's not about me right. that's, that's the thing I don't I don't do this in hopes that one day I win an Emmy or I get to the Hall of Fame. I do this because I love what I'm doing. I get paid well to do it, you know? Yeah. And I'm still having fun doing it. When I'm done having fun, I'm leaving. I'm going to go do something else. That's just that's just me. You know, it's not, it's not like this is my life and I'm, you know, I, I better be judged a certain way. You know, I can't control what people think, people right. say. So it's just why, why worry about it? Now, I was uh, listening. I've been listening to the Big Fly Show with you and Joel over the past few weeks. And you guys were talking to Dave O'Brien, and what he said is that, uh, obviously, from his standpoint, as well as probably all of you guys, uh, you lean on certain broadcasters, whether it's for notes, pregame, like on road trips, especially. I remember the last time we talked, you were talking about, uh, I think, Tom Brenneman, when you were with uh, the Diamondbacks doing radio, kind of leaning on him a little. Is there any broadcaster in today's game that you uh, have a special relationship when you go to a visiting ballpark? Um... All the guys are special in their own way. Yeah. There's certain guys you look forward to seeing. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm really close to Ryan Lefevre of the Kansas City Royals. Um, I just I just have a lot of respect for Ryan, and, and he and I have good good friends for years. Um, I love the Indians guys, Matt Underwood and Rick Manning. They're just they're just fun dudes, you know. They just um, they're kind of on our way. They're like Gooby and I, similar. Uh, similar goofiness and, and joking around and, and language. And, and so there's, you know, uh, but there's, they're all good guys. Yeah. It's very rarely, you know, when you go to Minnesota and Burt Blylevin's farting in the booth or calling you a jackass or what you know what I mean? It's just like, it's like, there's just, everyone's different. And then Dick Bremer plays the straight man for the, for the twins. And he comes in with his deep piping voice, gentlemen. Uh, you know, it's, it's cool. And it's good to see that. And it's funny because when you see them, you all of a sudden become them. You're like when you introduce, yeah, hey, Dick, how are you? You know, you, yeah. all of a sudden you start to become Michael K. You start, 
all we do from uh, when we go to the Yankee Stadium, they're on the other side. We can't see the Yankee broadcasters, but always just start yelling, see ya! We start yelling to, to Michael K. That way he comes in and says hello. So it's just kind of that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, I, of course, you guys had Bird, you had Dick on the show. Um, yeah. Going forward, do you have any, like, dream guests that you would want to have on from any standpoint, whether it's athletics um, music, anything I, like that? I, I think Mark Cuban would be kind of, yeah, I'm never, yeah. I was never a huge Mark Cuban fan, but I've, um, over the last several years, I've been kind of uh, drawn to him and his style of doing things. And he's really shined, really, through this pandemic. Yeah. Uh, as a, as a father, as a businessman, as an entrepreneur, I just, I, the guy gets it. And it's not about party lines or anything like that. And he's kind of of that mindset. He doesn't care, man. It's just like, he's just being, he's genuine. He is who he is. And I gravitate to those type of people. I really do. I don't, I'm not a big believer in, uh, you know, in putting up these false fronts and, um, you know, I am who I am. You speak to me, this, you're, you're talking to me and I'm going to go talk to a buddy of mine here in, in about a half hour. And I'm going to talk to him just like I speak to you. You know right. what I mean? It's like, it's that's just the nature of, 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 how, of who I am. But I think Cuban would be kind of a cool dude. Um, I'm trying to think of anybody else that stands out. I'm not, I'm not starstruck having grown up with my dad playing baseball. And so I'm not overly wowed by people. It was cool having Dick Vitale on the show, you know, and his energy. So I like, I like positive people. I like people like we did an interview with Kevin Euclid the other day. I've never yeah. met Kevin. Uh, never talked to him before, and I just reached out to him via LinkedIn, and and it was the coolest interview because it's like you just sit there, and you just kind of you don't even want to interrupt. You just talking. Yeah. I mean, he's such a cool dude and and such a a really smart businessman and just what he took what I took away from it and, and it was just it was just fascinating. I could have kept on going for a couple of hours just. Just shooting the breeze with them, and those those are the people that I really love talking to. Yeah. That, I, that I wish I could speak more to. Euclid, a former player. You guys obviously have a relationship with Albert Pujols, given he's with the Angels. You had him on the show. How difficult? Uh, obviously, you can go way back to your time with the Diamondbacks as well, the Rangers, the Angels. How difficult is it kind of building those relationships with players? I know they're pros and they expect to talk to media personnel and, of course, broadcasters. Uh, but how difficult is it kind of building those relationships? Because I know for me, a college student, it's either you're getting a, a really cool dude or someone who's just like, I'm a college baseball player. I'm not going to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, and you're going to get that anywhere. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, there's those type of guys that uh, are the, the short answer guys in professional baseball, and they just – you know, I think with time you end up learning who you can go to and who you can't go to. And it's, you know, guys talk. To be perfectly honest with you, if you, if uh, I'd never met George Springer before, and we were in Houston last year, and I had my son with me, we were on the field taking BP. And my son likes to watch, and we were just right by the cage, and uh, I just wanted to. I was curious uh, about George's stance and his approach at the plate. And so I just asked, excuse me, and I just said, you know, George, I'm, I'm, I introduced myself, and this is my son, Tyler. I'm like, curious, you know, how different is your swing today? Because I was talking to my son about this, that your swing is going to continue to evolve. How different is your swing today than it was at UConn when you were in Connecticut at college? He goes, oh, man. And he goes into this in the middle. His hitting group 
he sits there and is telling me all these things and hands and positioning and all that stuff. And, and so I, and I, my, my takeaway was I can't wait to talk to him again. You know what I mean? I, I think if you're genuine and you're not looking to bother people, I need this or I need that, most guys are usually pretty cool about, you know, doing interviews. Um, I don't, I've never been a big clubhouse hangout guy, maybe because I grew up with my dad playing and I knew that after batting practice, my dad would say, hey, shower up and get out because we're getting ready to do our jobs. Right. And so I never hung out in the clubhouse other than going there, getting dressed, going to the field, coming back, showering and getting out. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't necessarily go into the clubhouse. And so guys know that I'm not going to loiter. I'm not, if I'm coming to you, it's because at this point, I have, I have a genuine question to ask you. Or, hey, would you mind doing this for me? So I think it just takes time. And now I'm, you know, I'm 17 years in. Some of these guys were, were young, maybe in college uh, or even younger when I was at MLB Network and they saw me and they kind of recognized me. And Dustin Pedroia and I have gotten this, this we got, that's how we got to know each other. I did an interview with him at MLB Network, never met him face to face. But when I saw him with my son in Anaheim, it was like it was like this connection, and we knew, and he was super chill, and because they know, it, it's a trust thing, you know. It's like this bond, especially with the bigger profile guys. Um, I think if you do it in a way and ask in a way that is genuine, and that, that you're not going to really encroach on their time, uh, and and set it up a day in advance or two days in advance. I think you're. I think most guys will be amenable to that stuff. Yeah. But it's the it's the ones that come up with you. Hey, do you do you have a couple minutes? Yeah, that, those are the guys. Like, they want no part of that stuff. That's for sure. Now, when it comes to that, obviously you're talking with uh, your guys. What about opposing teams? Um, opposing teams. Again, I don't. You know, more times than not, I will. I I, I feel comfortable going up to guys and asking guys. Hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing tomorrow. We do have time to do this. Yeah. No, yes, whatever. You know, a lot of guys like to go through PR, right. and and some PR guys have their players to at a position where, hey man, ask our PR because PR wants, and a lot of that comes from baseball ops, general managers and stuff like that that want to make sure that they have a a handle on who's doing what and where. Uh, but Look, more times than not, I mean, what we need um, is three, four minutes of someone's time. You know, it's not it's not an ESPN sit-down right. type of thing. I can hit you anywhere. I've got a, an ENG guy that's going to be with me. We'll shoot him wherever you outside the clubhouse. I, I hate it, and it seldom happens doing it in the clubhouse. But I just, I, I'm a one-on-one guy. Right. I, don't, I don't like doing that group stuff where there's people around and you have to talk slowly, you know, lowly, you know. I, that... That is the worst for me. And I remember when I started doing radio, um, especially with the, uh, the Rangers, I had to do, do a radio interview every day, um, five to six minutes. Wow. And it's like, oh, I had to go in the clubhouse. And it's like, at that point, it's like, they knew it's like, I'm coming yeah. to them. And it's, like, and it's the worst feeling in the world walking. It's like the walk of shame. You know, yeah, it's like you got to walk yeah. up and ask somebody. Um, but you learn to find guys that are, are good at it. 
Uh, C.J. Wilson uh, was really good at doing these interviews. Uh, Oral Hershiser, you can ask him one question. It got to a point where he would say, how much do you need? I said, five minutes. He goes, good, just give me one question. And Oral would take it for five minutes, and I'm like, thank you. That was Oral Hershiser, pitching coach in the Texas Rangers on the KRLD, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, you learn, you learn by just kind of doing it. But it, I think that's the hardest part of the job, to be perfectly honest with you. Me putting on headsets and doing a game, whatever, in my sleep, uh, but hey, Victor, do you mind asking so and so? I'm like, ugh. I just, I just, even to this day, I, I dread doing that. Now, what do you think the situation would have looked like on opening day? Obviously, you guys were scheduled to be in Houston. What do you think that would have entailed when it came to a? It would have been, it would have been interesting because we would have opened in Houston. Well, we weren't going to do the first game. That was going to be an ESPN game, right? So. Um, the audience would have been treated to all of that stuff on that Thursday night. They would have been treated to it again on Friday night when we were back and doing our very first broadcast of the year because we would have had to have talked about the Houston situation. And it would have happened the following Friday because Houston was our home opener. And I guarantee you we probably would have talked about it again there. So, um, you know, that would have been interesting. And it's interesting now because... Nobody talks about it. Nobody said another word. Now, when baseball starts, it'll come back up. Yeah. Um, including the slap on the wrist that the Red Sox got and, and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, I knew we were going to talk about it because we had already started to to kind of prep for that, for that stuff. And, you know, it is what it is. I mean, it's like, again, going back to watching what you say, like, look, it didn't affect me, man. I, I know I have a personal opinion about it. Um, you know, I, I believe that there shouldn't be any video rooms, you know. You know, all these teams spent all this money building out these video rooms with replay over the last four or five years. Uh, to me, as soon as the umpires step on the field, you can't go in the video room. That's it. Nip it, nip it in the bud. Video rooms closed. Yeah. I mean, we've all come up looking, using our eyes, and talking to our teammates for scouting reports. You don't need to go into a video room to find out what he's throwing or what, what it'd look like. No, I mean, use self-awareness and self-adjustment. Same goes for um, managers. You want to challenge a play? Challenge it. You can't go to the, don't wait 30 seconds or a minute to find out what the video guy's right. telling you. Speed the game up. Umpires got to make the call without the benefit of replay. You want to challenge it, look at your player, look at your coach, look at your bench, make a decision. No replay. So that takes the whole video replay thing out of the booth. So I have my opinion on that. But as to should they vacate a World Series title, should they give it to the – I mean, I don't want to get into that stuff because right. you're never going to win. You get two sides, right? So you're never going to appease everybody. So why, why even get involved in that? Now you think that obviously it's going to pick back up once the season resumes at some point. Do you think it would have been a harder um, situation for them if, the, if obviously none of this COVID-19 stuff took place? They start the season on time. Obviously they were getting bombarded by everybody, the yeah. media, all 29 other teams. I feel like on some level everybody just wants to get the season rolling. Everybody wants sports back in general, at least sports right. fans and those who work in it, such as yourself. Um, do you believe that obviously it's gonna everybody's gonna be reminded of it? Everybody still thinks they're enemy number one. But I feel like as if the Astros, this whole scandal is kind of not completely swept under the rug, but 
to a degree where like they're not really going to be um, like teams aren't going to be as resentful once the season uh, ramps up. Uh, it, it's not so much about the opposition or even the fans because I mean the fans are going to do whatever the fans do, right? right? I, I think what it has done, it has allowed them to regroup and take a deep breath and like, okay, you know, because I think it, it had baseball just started. It would have been interesting to see how the Houston Astros played out this year. First, from a team standpoint, yeah. from a morale, I mean, tons of talent on that team. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I just wonder how much of that lingering, looking over your shoulder, this, you know, the, the elephant in the room. You know, it's like, you know, when you do something wrong and you're worried about what people are thinking about you. I think that really would have manifested itself, especially early on, right? Because it would have just kind of transitioned from this huge high of the of the of the of the information coming out and what they did and the jobs that it um, that it cost people, and then the game started, and then all of a sudden the season was going to start, and it, it would have ramped back up. Now, because of the whole COVID situation, it's allowed for other things to come to the forefront. Right. And while it's still there and has probably been talked about ad nauseum, uh, it's still going to be a topic of conversation, but it's not going to be as big a deal as right. it would have been had the season started, for sure. Now, just to wrap things up here, I don't want to hold you for too long here, and I definitely want to look up on YouTube when you drop that F-bomb, So I'm still just wowed by that. Lovely. <laughs> do you think that baseball is going to be played in 2020? I know for your sake that you'd want it to play in 2020, but as of right now, just from a fan perspective, it's obviously not looking good. Yeah, I, I, I really don't know, man. I think uh, there's part of me that wants to be glass half full and say, yeah, I think it'll eventually happen. Um, you know, if you want to look at, uh, at a guy with rose-colored glasses, uh, you know, man, it'd be great if on July 4th baseball kicked off in yeah. some form. I don't believe that baseball will be played in California, Washington, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, um, at least especially in the early parts of whatever goes on. That's just my take. Uh, so if it's a situation where it's, you know, the Arizona, Florida thing or Arizona, Texas, Florida, um, or some sort of iteration of a baseball season, I think it may happen. Um, but I just don't know. It's like every day there's something new that comes out, right? There's right. Every day, you know, uh, Joel on our show the uh, Monday, yesterday, was talking about over the weekend, you know, Governor Cuomo was saying that I, he sees perhaps baseball being played at Yankee Stadium, maybe without fans, but hopefully with fans at some point this year. But on Monday morning, Governor Cuomo is doing his press conference talking about, you know, a thousand new cases a day still in New York State. So it's like, like, so... The information, uh, it's just kind of like this ebbs and flows. Yeah. I just, it's difficult to pinpoint. I think there's got to be a comfort zone. I think whatever's decided upon, everybody has to be comfortable with that decision. And I mean that from a player's perspective, from a management perspective. Obviously, the fans are not going to be a part of it early on, at least physically in a stadium. At least I don't see it, unless somehow something miraculous happens or vaccines develop that quickly. Uh, but I think if you get players that sign off on it and 
management signs off on it, I think you, you probably will. I, I, some sort of a season, whatever that looks like, whatever the, if there's a realignment, I'm open to whatever. I think, I think if baseball is ever going to try anything out, this would be the year to do it. Right. With the new CBA coming up after next year, if you're going to try things that maybe you want to put in the next collective bargaining agreement, whether it's realignment or uh, whatever the case may be, new rules, uh, double headers, seven right. innings, anything, anything you try, this would be the time to do it. Because I think all, I think anybody that really cares about it is just being able to watch some baseball or something live as opposed to the replay of right. whatever World Series again for the millionth time. They're looking for some content that. Uh, that they can kind of thrive off of. Like even throw in that new playoff format that they were suggesting. Yeah. What was yeah. it? Uh, two more wild card teams? They were going to do two more wild card yeah. teams. But I mean, the, what they were talking originally was, I think Bob Nightingale of USA Today was the one that said, uh, you know, Florida and uh, Arizona based on your spring training homes, and then you realign based on those 15 teams in Arizona and the 15 teams in Florida. So I think the Angels would be uh, Angels, Dodgers. White Sox, Indians, and Reds based in that area geographically in Phoenix. So that would be the Cactus League West. Yeah. Uh, and so and then so you've got three divisions there, three divisions in Florida. Uh, you play a season, you, you figure it out, you know what I mean? And, and, then, and then get together in a neutral site and have playoffs. So expand the playoffs. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really care. I mean, does it really matter? Do, you, do we really care if baseball's being played in December? I don't know why anybody would really care if it's being played in a neutral site. Who cares? Um... I think people just want some sort of, you know, something going on from a from a right. sporting perspective. I don't think it's the end all be all that baseball's not happening right now. Like I can't believe baseball. Oh yeah, I know. This, that. Yeah. No, I think I think I think you have to take care of of the problem first, or at least have a plan in place just in case X, Y, and Z happens. So I think I think baseball is kind of like. You know, a couple of weeks ago, people were clamoring, like, why doesn't Commissioner Manfred just say that this is what they're going to do? I'm like, uh, it's not really up to the Commissioner Manfred or any of the commissioners. I mean, there's, you've got mayors, you've got governors, you've got a federal government. There's a yeah. number of variables that are involved. And I just think people are so locked into, like, I want to see baseball. Yeah. It's like they don't see everything else that's going on. They've got to take the blinders off. Now, do you think, obviously, this season is going to have an asterisk next to it if they start now, even if they started in May? But, like, let's say they... Possibly, if there's a timetable, they start in July, August, and they want to try out all these new certain stuff, whether it's the the new playoff format or anything else. Does it, in your estimation, does it really matter who wins the World Series, or is this season kind of just a, a no, wash? No, I think I, why not? I, I don't, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't buy into that whole. Well, if it's not yeah. 162 game schedule, then it's not really a, you know, who cares who the World Series? No, I think that's a, I think that's a load of crap. To be perfectly yeah. honest with you, I think. Look, if you're playing the season, it's the season. In 95, when they came back from the strike, get a strike shortened season, right? There was still a World Series champion at that point. So so you diminish what that team did in 95? No, of course not. Um, I, I, I think for the most part, and I used to be a, a fairly staunch traditionalist, and I've kind of evolved over time and kind of been more accepting to, to things. Uh, I, I think fewer and fewer whether it's writers or media members in baseball, are really worried about the whole legitimate World Series champion, legitimate season. Hey, man, the season is what the season is, right? I think everyone understands that this is a different dynamic, and whatever the numbers are and whatever team gets in the playoffs, so be it. Go get them. 
Interesting. In that retrospect, obviously, for your sake, you want the season to jump up as soon as possible. Besides the the show with you and Joel, obviously, what are you doing to keep busy? That's pretty much it, man. Bunch of little <laughs> things around the house. Uh, fix the hose today. I painted some walls and just getting stuff done. I mean, uh, you know, as a as a freelancer, I'm, I'm yeah. not getting paid. I, my last paycheck was early October. Uh, of 2019 and so like nobody wants baseball more than me yeah. uh, so that I can get back to work and, and start earning an income so um, it's been hard to figure things out it's, it uh, wasn't fun filing for unemployment for the first time in my life yeah. um, but it is what it is and you just roll with it I know that I'm not the only one that's doing it and um, hopefully baseball is able to come back sooner rather than later well, I want to thank you so much. Thanks for being so generous to take the time to talk it. to me again, as well as all other aspiring broadcasters across the world that reach out to you. Um, and, again, I hope your family stays safe. I hope you stay safe because weird times, man. I don't know what to, yeah. I don't know what to do. Exactly. Uh, I'm definitely, I'm definitely gonna look up you dropping an f bomb on TV there right now. So that, that's my. You're really fascinated by I that. I am. I was wondering. I'm like, I wonder if he's had any, any blunders because I've asked other people before. They're like, Yeah, I said this. I've said that. I'm like, Hmm. I've said blunt on TV. I've said uh, other things. I'm like, There's got to be something worse. F bomb takes the cake. Things before. I mean, because you get tongue tied or whatever. But yeah, you know, as far as like major screw ups, that would have been. The, really the only one that I've ever done. And you you actually got suspended for a few games? Yeah. yeah. That was a nice fine. It wasn't really a fine. It's like you lose two checks. So yeah. It wasn't worth it. No, especially not now, right? At that point, I should have just said, <laughs> I, I, you know, if I knew that was going to be the case, I would have picked my moment to really drop one and to it, as opposed to like, oops, I, I did, I, you know, not know about it. <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't ever drop an apple on the air. Um, I promise I won't try to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's definitely going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, tick pick. I thought you said tick pick. No hidden fees. Download today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.